Good morning and welcome to the broadcast of Faith Mountain Ministries. My name is Bill Vanderbush. I want to talk to you today about rest. I want to talk to you about Psalm 37. Not a real restful passage. As a matter of fact, it's a passage of scripture that David wrote at a time when he was surrounded by enemies. You ever felt surrounded by circumstances that were out of your control? Things going on in the world, in your life, that you just could not get a grasp on. You feel like life is dragging you along, and eventually you think to yourself, man, I didn't sign up for this. As humanity, we've become accustomed to a world filled with fatigue, even spiritually. Now, I'm talking about ministry leaders. Ministry fatigue defines the life of many people whether you're a leader in your church or you just attend. Much of that has to do with this consistent psychological and emotional pressure to perform for God. And have you ever been there? The feeling that you needed to impress God? The feeling that you needed to make God happy? And we read in the scripture that God can be pleased. Without faith, the Bible says it's impossible to please God. So then, of course, you assess yourself, how much faith do I have in his is enough to make God pleased with me. And if God's not pleased with me, oh my goodness, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> uh, if we humans are afraid of anything, it's disappointing or missing or squandering the favor of the Lord. Now, first thing you need to know is that God is really good. He also made you. And he also sees every aspect and every part of your life. And he knew who you were before he even formed you. And the journey that you and I are on is to discover what God's always believed about us. If you heard me teach anything at all, you hopefully have developed some level of confidence in the grace and the goodness of God and the power of the cross, the shed blood of Jesus Christ that's for you and not against you. And you begin to know that God is revealed in Jesus who loved us so much that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he died for us. So you're worthy of the grace of God. Just thought I'd let you know that, right? So you can rest in the reality that you are loved by a really, really good father. Now, when it comes to fatigue, when it comes to uh, things like like feeling like I'm disappointing or squandering the favor of God, listen, that will add to the fatigue. And if you live your life in fatigue long enough, you can find yourself in somewhat of a spiritual desert. That's where you still want to call yourself a Christian because you certainly don't want to throw your salvation away, but you've given up on the idea of trying to live for Christ. And that's unfortunate because and my dad used to say, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Beyond that, if he can't make you bad or busy, he'll try to convince you that you're not worthy of doing anything for God. And so then what happens? Complacency sets in. That's that spiritual desert. Now the fatigue happens when our perspective of life includes the word complicated. Is your life complicated? Well, and maybe this is for you today. It's when merely living becomes a labor and a chore. Engaging with people might even become a chore. Returning emails becomes work. Connecting with people becomes work. Ministry becomes work. And even being a good spouse becomes work. Juggling friendships becomes work. And the pressures of parenting, of course, become work. Now, 
I would say that this is what increases our mental and emotional job description. And as the list of our job description increases, life just gets more complicated. And the next thing you know, you feel crushed by fatigue. Now in life and ministry, it's easy, and I'm talking to you from where I'm at, to rely on your own gifting, your own skill set, and your own abilities, rather than resting in the wisdom and the power of God, which is available to all of us. And I've said this often before, and when it comes to that, we have replaced divine synergy with human strategy. And this is when our lives get marked by complacency, distraction, and apathy. And that's the point where we find ourselves unable to manage the state of our emotions. Then then people start making decisions that lack wisdom. Listen, when you see somebody making decisions that lack wisdom, it's it should be a warning signal to you. It's it's like a red light's going off. Something's wrong here. And and perhaps they need an intervention. It's the opposite state of the prosperity of the soul. Now, for years I've said that we're suffering as the body of Christ and humanity in general with an identity crisis. And yet, I believe it goes deeper than that. What we're experiencing is an intimacy crisis. A crisis of intimacy comes from extended periods of time of not beholding the Lord or regarding our union with Him. See, without intimacy with God, there's no revelation of your identity. And so we continue to guess about who we are, who we think we might be. And it is that relationship of intimacy with God that ultimately reveals who we are in Christ. And so that crisis of intimacy comes from not taking time to focus our attention and our affection upon the presence of the Lord, upon the indwelling reality of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And not taking the time to listen to his voice. Now, that intimacy with God, that might scare you at the phrase, like, what does that even mean, Bill? Intimacy, that sounds like really, really close. Oh yeah, it is incredibly close. Remember John 14, 20, it's the verse that I quote pretty much every time I ever preach. Jesus said in that day, you will know I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. How much closer do you get than that? See, all of that relationship is important. You don't disappear in the equation. You're not nothing in this. He created you for a purpose, for a reason. He's got a plan for your life. He's got, a, he's got a, such a, an overwhelming uh, set of, of precious thoughts for you. And so to discover those things requires a relationship of closeness with Christ, where you actually let him speak to you. Not a one-sided conversation where you just talk to him and expect him to listen. This is a conversation where you expect that he's going to actually have some things he wants to say to you. And listen, hard or not, listening to what the voice of the Lord is telling you and I will always take us to a better place in our lives. It'll take us into our destiny, even if that destiny is a hard thing to walk through. The reality is, is he will take us to where we are supposed to go. So is that intimacy with God actually something that's accessible? Absolutely. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it validated our innocence. 
It severed us from the bondage of sin. It eliminated all the barriers of distance and separation and reconciled us once and for all to the loving heart of the Father. And this is what I mean when I say the phrase reconciled rest. We're doing a reconciled rest conference this fall and it sold out pretty quickly up in Colorado. Just a few of us are getting together and we're going to be doing another one again because I feel like this is going to be one of the most valuable discipleship times we can do with people where we just ignite you with a revelation of union with God in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we become disconnected from our intimacy with God, again, our identity gets distorted. And you might say that your life is relatively simple. I'd ask you this question. Are you fascinated with Jesus? Are you fascinated with Jesus? As far as I can tell, the more complicated that life gets, the less fascinated we are with Jesus. And I want to introduce you to this posture of rest. What does it mean to live with this place of rest, at reconciled rest in the heart of the Father? And how can we actually, as Jesus said, come unto me? All ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Think about that phrase, come unto me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. And when he says, I will give you rest, he's revealing that rest is a gift. A gift we receive simply by faith. We receive his gift of rest. And the first thing to know about this revelation is the invitation to come unto. That is to close the gap. It's an invitation of intimacy with the Lord. It's an invitation to union. In the book of Hebrews, we read how the veil was torn in the temple. And it was a shadow of the greater spiritual reality, which is that the veil of his flesh was torn. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about that through the veil of his flesh, we enter into a new and living way. The revelation of John 14, 20 all over again. It's the incarnation of God and man revealed together in Christ. And of course, the mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Come unto me is a revelation of union. And one of the ways we express that revelation is in worship. We pass through the veil into a greater awareness of the presence of the Lord, with the Lord, within the Lord, the Lord within us, upon us, around us. The confidence that we have to come before the Lord And let him shift our perspective to what he sees is what gives us this place of rest. The come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. The yoke is the teaching of the rabbi. The oxen being yoked together has often been an illustration that's been used here, but the phrase 
his Hebraic use of saying that this is the teachings of the rabbi, what the rabbis would put upon you so that you could, as a, an ox plows the ground, carry something, bear, bearing fruit, preparing the soil, whatever it happens to be. It's the idea that the yoke is the teaching of the rabbi. Uh, when he says, take my yoke upon you and learn, again, it's the teaching Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your soul. When you truly learn the gospel, rest becomes the result. Why? He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Replace that word yoke with teaching, and you understand. He says, my teaching is easy. What I'm going to lay upon you is light. In other words, he's going to lift you up. Okay, now I want to take you to Psalm 37. This is a psalm that my dad actually had me memorize when I was a kid. And rest was not exactly what it gave me, at least not back then. Mainly because it talked a lot about what would happen to the wicked or the evildoers. And I was wondering, am I one of those? Do you realize what wicked and evil doing means here is somebody who lives in rebellion against the heart of the Father. Somebody who literally looks at God and says, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm going to live for myself as if we have created ourselves. None of us are here by our own will. We are all here by the will of another. And how quickly we forget that. And so we start asserting our rights and privileges as if to say, it's my life. Listen, the very way we got here ought to tell us that our life is not our own. As the scripture says we've been bought with a price. And so when I memorized this as a kid, I, I used to get scared that maybe I was in the wicked camp just in case, you know, I might have had a bad thought or something. It's before I really caught confidence in the grace of God. Now, my dad already knew the Lord and had a confidence in the goodness of the Lord. And so uh, putting uh, this together, the revelation of Psalm 37 together with, with a revelation of Jesus Christ was ultimately beautifully clarifying for me. So remember to do this every time you read an old covenant passage, and that is to remember to connect it to Christ and let Christ become the greater authority. Again, there's some things that are true and other things that are truer. And a revelation of Jesus is always the truer truth. But the principles contained in many of the Psalms carry new covenant revelation and reality, and they have weight to them. And uh, Jesus was not afraid to connect himself with the line of David, right? So David, uh, appointed and anointed by God to be king over Israel, caught quite a few new covenant realities, as we've talked about in broadcasts in the past, especially in Psalm 22, 23, and 24. Well, here in verse uh, 1 of chapter 37, we're going to start with a, a number of pieces of advice. And what I'm hoping today and praying today is that this section of Scripture you'll see with a new covenant lens will lift you up and out of whatever fatigue you happen to be feeling and give you a sense of hope and inject you with a strength and a joy to move through the day in a place of confidence, in that place of intimacy with God to receive the gift of rest from the hand of the Lord and to come unto him when you're feeling weighed down and heavy laden. Let's read in verse 1 of Psalm 37. It says, Do not fret because of evildoers. First thing he says is don't worry. 
In other words, when you see evil, don't let worry and fear become the automatic response. You say, what does that mean? I have to callous my heart to the, to the evil going on around me? No, no, no. What he's saying here is don't let yourself come into partnership with a spirit of fear every time somebody does something you consider to be evil because what you do is you give them control over your state of emotions. Can you feel righteousness, peace, and joy no matter what anybody else is doing around you? And David catches this reality. This is the greater kingdom reality that the king on the throne is never under threat and the kingdom that he is of is never under threat for the kingdom he is over is the kingdom that you are of and whatever is under his feet is under your feet even if it doesn't look like it at this moment the bible declares his kingdom rules over all okay so we live to enforce the victory of the cross but it's never under threat and we only feel fear when we feel like we're under threat and you cannot be threatened in Christ's why Jesus said don't fear those who can kill the body right so he says don't fret because of evildoers don't be envious because of the workers of iniquity he says they will soon be cut down like the grass and wither or fade as the green herb in other words evil doing is temporary Understand that when a person chooses rebellious evil as a lifestyle, they've chosen a temporary life. He goes on to say, trust in the Lord and do good. So you would dwell in the land and cultivate or dwell on or feast on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We often would say that uh, he'll give you whatever you want. No, that's not the way it works. When we delight in him, we are delighting in what he delights in. And he replaces selfish desires that would not uh, do any good for us, would not serve us at all. Replaces those desires with desires that more accurately reflect the nature and the character of his world. It doesn't take control of your desires. He opens your eyes to see something better. He increases your appetite for what is good. Listen, if you have uh, only ever eaten McDonald's hamburgers your entire life, and you have never been to a Five Guys or a Smash Burger uh, or a uh, uh, Burger Fi or what any of the high-end burger joints where they will make your burger like you've never had it before then you don't even know what to want. The height of your desire might be something that's small and inexpensive. What God wants to do is increase your desires. Not just take and say, oh, I'm going to take that bad desire and give you a better one. No, he's going to show you something you've never seen before. And when you have seen what he sees from his perspective, what happens? He gives you the desires of your heart when you begin to delight in what he delights in. He goes on to say, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. He will bring it to pass. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. And the word judgment and righteousness here is not, it's not a bad thing. They're kind of interchangeable. Why? Because he judges us in righteousness. He judges us as righteous, not because of our works, but because of the work of Christ. You hear what I said? 
his judgment for us is not a bad thing. It is to judge us as righteous because of what Christ has done. Again, this is how we look at Old Covenant passages through the revelation of the New Covenant. So it says, He'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. It's such an important word to see here. Uh, He brings forth your righteousness. Think about that for a second. You don't have to produce your own righteousness. He brings it forth. How could David possibly have known that righteousness would be a grace gift from God that literally would impart identity to us, the same identity that he has, so that we could be the righteousness of God in Christ? The word for judgment here is the word mishpat. It means a choice. It means a, an act of deciding a case, uh, like to, to sit in a seat of judgment, to, to plead a cause. So there's a, a, a confidence that we can have that he is for us and not against us. He told the disciples, you did not choose me, I chose you. The revelation of our righteousness is knowing that we are accepted, loved, chosen by God. And that choice we could call from Romans chapter 8, being adopted. The spirit of adoption is what we've received from the hand of the Lord, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And verse 7, we get to a key word in today's lesson, and it's rest. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. The word rest is the Hebrew word domen. It means to be silent, be still, to wait, to grow quiet. In a world that is so filled with noise, in a life that is so busy that you are living distraction to distraction, to rest in the Lord is to quiet yourself to a posture of listening. So we can connect the rest of the Lord with the voice of the Lord. The the beauty of surrendering to listen to his voice will not produce stress in you. It will produce rest in you. So what do we do in the listening? It says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. This tells us that even though, listen, God is wanting to speak to us more than we want to listen. Often, I believe he will watch to see when we quiet ourselves to the point where what he's about to say will not be divided by distraction. Like he wants to speak to you such deep, rich truths from his heart. That's dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. Those truths, he's not going to speak to you in between doing 10,000 other things. To rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him is to recognize that he's never wasting time. Think about that. He's the Lord of time. He created it. He invented it. He can do whatever he wants with it. And so if he wants to spend time with you, he is not going to take time from you. I've never spent time with the Lord where I felt like it's been a waste. A few minutes with the Lord in the morning enriches my entire day. Extended time in the presence of the Lord can enrich your entire life. 
pretty soon you begin to realize, wait a minute, why would I ever lead this? And that leads us to a full-on revelation of our union with Christ, where you walk throughout your day with a sense of no distance and no separation. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. This means to, listen, waste time on God. That's the way you want to look at it. Spend time on God. Take time to meditate on the things of God. Meditate, by, by that I mean not, not uh, a meditation style where you empty your mind of everything. To meditate on the Lord is to fill your mind and your heart with the word of God, with the scriptures. I often like to take a particular passage of scripture, Psalm 37, for example, and meditate on it, spend time ruminating on it, spend time letting it go over in, in my mind, in my heart. When I rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him, I find myself at a place of peace. And so now the rest of the scriptures start to make sense. From a posture of peace, I'm not partnering with fear. So it says, do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger. This is verse 8 now. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself to, in any wise to do evil, or do not fret, for it only leads to evil doing. It says, evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait upon the Lord shall inherit the earth. Now stop in, in just a second here for, for the last minute of this broadcast and meditate on this with me for a second. Those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Jesus said in the Beatitudes that the meek shall inherit the earth. And we're told here that those who inherit the earth shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. When everything is left and done, said and done, those who wait on the Lord, listen to the Lord, forsake wrath, forsake fear, don't partner with any spirit contrary to the heart of the Father so that we get pulled into a place where we are doing things to, like fight fire with fire. Evildoers do evil, so we will do evil to the evildoers, that kind of thing. It says, cease from anger and forsake wrath. How can you stop being angry when there is evil in the world? Because he goes on to say, evildoers will be cut off. Now, when you see that, you begin to write, reflect perhaps what um, Psalm uh, 73, it's a psalm of Asaph, and uh, he was jealous and he was envious of the prosperity of the wicked. He could not figure out why they seemed to be blessed, and he wasn't until he began to see that their time was short. And what he began to realize was, wait a minute, they're in a place of, of like slippery places, the Bible says there. He says, you've set them in slippery places as in a moment they're utterly consumed with terror. In other words, the only thing they have to alleviate the fear in their life is, is the desire to get more, to gain more power. And if they can get more and more power, what are they getting power over? Power over fear. When you have Jesus, you have all the power that you need to overcome every fear in your life. Meekness is the condition of having completely overcome fear by being strong enough 
to where anger and wrath and fear are not your automatic responses to the evil going on in the world. And the Bible says this, the meek will inherit the earth and delight themselves in the abundance of peace. From that place of peace, may you live and rest today, reconciled rest in the heart of the Father. Let me pray for you today. Father, I thank you for this time, and I pray that we would receive from your hand what only you can give, and that is a peace that passes understanding. For every person listening to this broadcast who says, I don't want to be counted as wicked, so I surrender my life to you, Jesus. May today, may this moment, you give them spirit-led assurity that they are your children. As we say yes to you, God, then we surrender to step into the grace of your salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and your grace to us. Amen. You can write to us here today. Well, I always go over time here. You can write to us here today at Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. And can I encourage you to something in the last couple of seconds of this broadcast? I want to take some time and bless my mom. She's 84 years old. She has been more of a blessing to this broadcast than I can even begin to describe. And I want to take a, a moment to encourage you to write her a special note and send her a love gift. And you can do that by writing to Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. Just say thank you for your years of faithful service to the body of Christ, for faithfully praying for all of our radio listeners and all of our supporters. Rhonda Vanderbush is an absolutely indispensable part of this ministry, and I'm so grateful for her. So I just want to encourage you just to bless her with a love gift this week, if you would. You can also give online by going to VanderbushMinistries.com and uh, just designate the gift there. This is to bless Rhonda. Thanks so much for listening to the broadcast today. This is Bill Vanderbush. Till next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.